This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Here comes a lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. Welcome everybody to Lightning Round Podcast. We are coming hard, we are coming fast, and we are coming at you cover this second preseason game and jamie is here of course he is at lightning underscore round i am at garrett thank you guys for listening to the podcast we appreciate you and we are up to some big things coming up very very soon so look forward to that yep lots of new wrinkles for the show some new content ideas um new ways to for everybody to tune in and listen or possibly see us so lots of fun new things ways to interact with us It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So look forward to that. We are going to announce it, I think, during the podcast for that third preseason game. And it'll definitely come before the season. So uh, make sure to listen to the podcast. Follow Jamie and me. And we will uh, get that out there. And we're going to have a real big season. Lots of big things. We are evolving as a podcast. So thanks for sticking with us. And now let's get into this preseason game. So the Chargers ended up losing this one. Uh, one-on-one of the preseason, if anybody cares. But uh, we're just going to go through the important storylines that Jamie and I saw, and let's just get right into it. What What is the biggest headline for you coming out of this game? Uh, I think the biggest headline for me is what the Chargers don't have, which is any semblance of any kind of quality offensive line depth. Mm. Uh, they, they have some problems behind that starting offensive line, and they may even have an issue with one of their starting offensive linemen. So... Uh, there was virtually no pocket for either quarterback for the majority of the game on Sunday. Um, both Easton Stick and Chase Daniel are running for their lives uh, behind the second and third string offensive lines. Chase Pipkins was his usual turnstile. Chase Pipkins. Chase, Trey Pipkins. Hey, that's what Trey he's doing, Pipkins. chasing all game long. <laughs> that's what, yep. <laughs> uh, Trey Pipkins was his usual turnstile self, like Garrett said chasing down defensive linemen from behind most of the game, <laughs> just not getting hands on people, just getting beat inside, outside, around the edge. Didn't matter. Awful. Storm Norton wasn't a whole lot better. Kid from Cincinnati, uh, James Hudson, the UDFA, he wasn't much better. The tackles as a whole were awful. Uh, there really wasn't much to speak of in terms of quality blocking on the interior either. Uh, just sloppy and ineffective for the most part. But I thought the interesting thing was – hearing an honest assessment of Trey Pipkins and um, and Storm Norton from Coach Brandon Staley after the game. No coach speak, no bullshit, um, not wasting anybody's time. Garrett, do you have that quote? I think those two guys got a real accurate picture of where they're at. And he no, kinda, no mincing words there. 
no mincing words there. He did follow up. Um, I think it was with Daniel Popper after the game and expanded on it and kind of walked back his comments a little bit saying that he still trusts them and he has faith in them and he thinks they'll get to where they need to be, but they're just not there yet. And the point was made that the team didn't do anything to help them. They just kind of left them out there on the edge to see how they would handle themselves against a, a quality defensive front. And I think the answer was they didn't handle themselves. So They've got to be looking for some better in depth. They've got to be, you know, reconsidering entering the season with one or both of those guys on the roster. It sounds like they're both competing for a swing tackle spot. Whoever doesn't get the swing tackle spot will be the backup left tackle, I guess. Um, but neither one of those guys looks like they deserve to be on a, an NFL roster at the moment. And you just really worry about one injury to either tackle spot, especially with the season that Brian Bulaga had last year. They're in trouble. Like now you're now you're worrying for for Justin Herbert's health and safety long term. So they've got some issues there in the offensive line, and that was by far the biggest storyline from from the game for me. Is the coaches had to be going in looking to see, okay, first of all, can we provide a pocket for Easton Stick and Chase Daniel, and second of all, can one or both perform from the pocket? And the answer to both questions was, for the most part, no. They couldn't provide a pocket for them, and even when they did, neither one of them was terribly affected from effective from said pocket. So lots of red flags there with that backup offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it, it was all pretty suspect in terms of the tackles. Now I know storm Norton didn't play great. Um, obviously did better than Pipkins. That's not saying a whole lot, but Pipkins was absolutely lost. And there's a lot of things concerning to me, you know, uh, against the 49ers, he just from top to bottom looked like a mess. He was com consistently giving up pressure. He was playing too high, which is what led to that sack by Jordan Willis, where he just basically ducked under him. It wasn't like he gave him a swim or you know a club or anything fancy. He just ducked underneath his arms. And his footwork was so inconsistent on Sunday. And it seemed to me like he had no confidence. So it wasn't just like, hey, that's a bad game. It was like, technically speaking, he was all over the place. He was an absolute mess. His feet weren't good. His hands weren't good. He was really slow out of his kick slide yesterday. There was a lot of bad things going on. And it wasn't just bad game. Hey, you know, maybe maybe he had better competition, which he did. I mean, the 49ers gave them a lot of more starters than the Chargers did on uh, on defense going against the Chargers offense. But still, it doesn't look like now that he's got any confidence and that Trey Pipkins can even hang on an NFL roster, to be honest with you. I don't want to go into this game and say, like, let's cut Trey Pipkins. The Chargers should go in there and just cut bait now. I'm I'm not completely out on him. But you can't keep going, hey, he was a project, he's a project, he's a project, when you know we're in year three now. I mean, that that's that's out the door. He's had enough time to develop to at least be a backup. All you're asking is to be a swing tackle, fourth swing tackle at best. And right now, I don't know if you can go into the season with a Trey Pipkins as your fourth swing tackle. If Brian Balaga, Rashawn Slater are banged up, they're they're banged up right now. But if they get banged, and, and Staley did say that if it was a, a real game, an NFL game, they would have played yesterday but because of preseason they're being cautious but they slater and balaga basically have to play 17 games that's it whether it's on one leg while they're missing an arm it doesn't matter <laughs> you have to basically protect yourself from trey pipkins not from defending edge rushers but from trey pipkins and what he will allow those edge rushers to do to justin herbert so it's very concerning and we've said it for uh, multiple podcasts ever since we've been back now that 
the Chargers have got to go in during cuts and find some kind of veteran offensive tackle. I know people love the idea of maybe trading for an Andre Dillard who's been struggling in Philadelphia. I don't, I don't know if that's a possibility, but there has got to be some kind of depth here behind those two tackles. Brian Balaga did struggle last year and has, since he's been a charger been banged up. So can you depend on him? for a full season. I don't think you can, and they have got to get better. And it showed on Sunday that they don't have the quality depth behind those two starting tackles. Yeah. And like I said, the point was made, the chargers didn't do anything to help them. There was no chips. There was no, no. max protect. They weren't, no. they, they left them out there and they just wanted to see how they would respond. And there are ways to help them during the season, but let's be honest, having Austin Eckler chip on the left side or chip on the right side. If one of those guys is in the game or, whatever, that's not going to help a whole lot. These guys have major issues, especially Pipkins. Um, this is year three for him, and it's not like he hasn't played. He played a lot as a rookie. He played a lot last year as well. Uh, he just hasn't shown that he's got his sea legs under him, so to speak, and he's ready to contribute on any kind of a level, even as, like you mentioned, a, a swing tackle, a fourth tackle on the roster. Mm -hmm. He just hasn't shown that. So um, they've got to be looking for some kind of veteran help presence there they have to be because you can't go into the season with him thinking that he's going to figure it out and keep telling yourself he's a developmental project i mean at some point he's a busted project he's just not going to work and i think they're kind of at that point now where you're realizing that he has no chance against even a slightly above average defensive line he has no chance and you're basically hanging your quarterback out to dry out there by having pipkins playing either tackle spot even in the case of an injury. So, and I realize tackle depth is scarce in the NFL. Yeah. Most teams don't have a whole lot of quality tackle depth. It's not an easy thing to find. I get it. It's not like I'm saying they need to go out and find a pro bowler to back up their starting tackles. That's not what I'm saying at all, but you at least have to have someone there. And right now it's just, like I said, he's a turnstile. I mean, yeah. he's getting pushed around. Guys are beating him around the edge. He just, the footwork isn't there. The hands aren't there. He's still losing to that duck under move that you mentioned, which he got torched by with Frank Clark as a rookie. He still hasn't adjusted to that move. What, what happens when guys start using clubs and swims and mm -hmm. spin moves and things like that. And he starts seeing, you know, elite edge rushers, there's, there's going to be some problems there. So it's definitely something they have to be looking to upgrade because I don't think they're going to get much out of Pipkins if they do need to put him on the field. No, no, I don't think so. And I think as we go along here, and it, I mean, we're going to see next game, but at some point you have to start thinking if he's even worth keeping on your roster. Is he a guy that you can put on your starting roster? Is he? Does he make the cuts? Yeah. I mean, as a third round pick, you, I'm sure they want him to be there. Of course. Um, it's a new staff though. Yeah, it's a, it's, a new, it's a new staff. They don't have any ties to him, but you know Telesco's in there in the room helping to make the decisions, and you know he's going to want to justify those picks. And we've already seen this preseason, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit. There seems to be a concerted effort to justify keeping certain former draft picks, <laughs> no matter how bad they are. So, and, and right now, there's no reason to believe that they won't try to make that justification with Trey Pipkins, even though I think we can plainly see with our naked eye, regardless of how trained we may or may not be, he ain't it. No. No, he ain't it. And I mean, let's just I, let's just segue because I know where you're going, uh, and I, we haven't even talked about it. But I will say that this KJ Hill trial run 
is all but over for me. It's done. As receiver, he caught four balls for 18 yards, but as a returner, he put them on the 18 on a kickoff return. He only got three yards on a punt return where he decided to go laterally towards the sideline rather than getting upfield for a guy who runs a four, six, isn't the best move. Uh, would not recommend. I and mean, we've said it before. I mean, KJ Hill is not an athlete. You want returning kicks. He's slow. He's got no explosion as a receiver. He just cannot get separation. All those catches. There was a DB draped over him, tackling as he caught it. It's In not his like hip he had, pocket. Oh, he, he had no separation whatsoever from second, third string 49er DBs. So he just does not have that separation. He doesn't have the speed and he doesn't have the explosion to be a returner. So once they get Austin Prohl in uniform, I hope, I hope that take that takes care of itself. But this may be like we were just talking about with tackles. This might be one of those positions where they got to look at returners during cuts. There's got to be some kind of speedster that gets cut and the Chargers could use him as a returner because they just don't have that on the roster right now. Of the guys that they've used, there's no guy that has that explosion. Joe Reed's banged up, which is like diminishing his chances of making the team now or being a returner. Uh, Pearl didn't suit up. KJ Hill just is not it. And is Pearl hurt or did they just not play him? That I don't know. I know he wasn't in uniform. I didn't catch I didn't, whether don't he was recall hurt. hearing anything about him being hurt during the week. Yeah, I don't either. And it seemed like he was playing pretty well in practices. So maybe fingers crossed, they've kind of already made up their mind on him and they feel like they don't need to see him in the preseason like they're doing with Tillery, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I still don't understand. <laughs> but. <laughs> Let's uh, maybe you could just lead this conversation because you you're just weaving these in as we're talking. No. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is maybe, maybe that is it. And they were giving KJ Hill his you know, his chance to redeem himself or make a case for a returner job. And he just didn't did it. He just didn't get it and he didn't do it. And this trial run that we've seen of KJ Hill and you made a comment on Twitter. I, I had a thought similar, but it was like they had some kind of quota where they had to get KJ Hill the ball. Let's see. Let's see if he can turn and run. Let's see if we can get a couple catches in because they targeted him a lot. And uh, he only had four catches, 18 yards, and he was getting no separation, uh, did them no favors. I mean, that that punt return actually put the Chargers back and did not help when they needed as many yards as they could. And then it ended up resulting in a safety from that Trey Pipkins sack we were talking about earlier. So that was a bad move altogether, not getting upfield and getting the yards, but then it ended up resulting in a negative play for the Chargers and costing them points. So for me, this KJ Hill trial run is over. There was a chance that he might make the 53. I think that's all about out the window now. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I honestly thought that they basically told the quarterbacks just throw the ball to KJ. He led the team in targets. I think he had seven targets on the game. They even designed a jet sweep for him, which I don't understand for somebody <laughs> with zero lateral quickness who runs a four six and can't move, has no wiggle at all. Like what, what are you expecting to get out of that? I, I don't understand like what they think they're going to see, but um, hopefully that was the like, okay, KJ, this is your final shot. We're going to throw you out there for as much as we can show us everything you have and wah, wah, there's nothing there. So hopefully they've already made up their minds on Austin Prohl and they're just trying to give KJ as much run as they can, but it just really felt like there was an effort there to justify or convince themselves that KJ was worth keeping. And fortunately, hopefully they saw what we saw and he didn't, he didn't help them make that case. No, 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 no. Definitely didn't do it on Sunday. He'll probably get a chance again in this third preseason game. But yeah, it uh, window is closing there for KJ Hill. 
All right. So you got some thoughts. You don't think uh, Jerry Tillery deserved a day off? Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery deserve to take this preseason game two off? Uh, no. I think <laughs> both those guys need all the reps they can get. Uh, I don't think either one of those guys, regardless of what they're doing in uh, joint practices, I don't think either one of those guys has shown anything consistently in real games against real competition to suggest that they are so entrenched in the starting lineup that they don't, they, they have nothing to gain from playing preseason reps, especially Tillery. I mean, this is a guy who basically he got fat off of third and fourth string offensive linemen for most of last year. If you put him in against any kind of a quality starter, he got stonewalled. Uh, there's just, there's nothing there. And I, I don't think that a joint practice is something that should Trump getting him, especially him as a first round pick who they're going to have to make a decision on here in another year or two. I, I don't think that, I don't think you should be basing those decisions off of a, a joint practice. I think he needs to be on the field. He needs to be working against whatever competition you can find for him to refine his pass rush moves, to help him play lower because he still plays too high to help improve on his leverage. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that he still needs to work on that uh, he's losing out the opportunity to work on. And I get you want to keep people healthy, but there's a balance there. You know, he could play a series here, two series there, get his reps in and be done without being treated like he's some kind of a pro bowler who's established himself and doesn't need the preseason. Yeah. You know, we saw the starting guards play in the first series. We saw Ode Abuji and Matt Filer, who were veterans in the NFL who have, you know, done, done their part on the offensive line and they got starts, but a guy like Jerry Tillery, who's proven nothing to anybody at any point that he gets a day off. And Justin Jones says too. No, that doesn't make any sense. They need the reps. At especially Jerry Tillery and Justin Jones too, but they got to get more work in. And I think they they did him a little bit of disservice, not getting him some in-game action. And I know Staley was talking about how their practices are more like game situations. And I understand that. And that's great, but this is the real game. This is preseason now before the NFL season starts, he's got to get as much as possible. So even if those practices are like in-game situations, he needs more and more and more. And, and you only get it from preseason games. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, you know, you're, you're looking at, um, Kenneth Murray playing in the preseason yesterday. Yeah. Your tranquil was on the field. Yep. I think Kaiser white was on the field. He was Michael Davis was on the field. You're talking about guys who have started for one or more years on this off and on this defense guys who, have at least established themselves as NFL caliber players who are getting these preseason reps for a series, two series, but they don't feel the need to put Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery out there. I, I don't get it. I mean, they must've looked really, really good in that joint <laughs> practice because I, I, I did so I don't understand. Yeah. Jerry Tillery reminded him of Aaron Donald. I think he said, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't, <laughs> <laughs> not that good. But speaking of, Brandon Staley, uh, the uh, lone positive, because we have been kind of trashing on some guys here in this game, even though, because deservedly so, this is a rough watch, even for preseason standards. Uh, Brandon Staley's defense, this second game, looks like one of those defenses. We're just getting glimpses because we're not seeing what he's really going to unveil, but it does seem like they're going to be one of those opportunistic defenses. Like we saw that high throw and the tip that led to the Asante Samuel interception that. Tavon Campbell interception went the same way that Cole Christensen dove on a ball that was just laying on the ground. It just seems to me like my, uh, Staley's putting together a defense that if you make a, a mistake, his defense will make you pay. And that's kind of what he showed 
early on in that game that if you make a high throw and it's tipped up in the ball, they'll bring it down. If there's a balling on the ground, somebody's going to dive on it. So even though we're talking about preseason and not starters, it seemed like, at least in the second game, and we saw Brandon kind of take advantage of a red zone interception last game where he was able to undercut, undercut a route. But it seems like he this might be one of those defenses, which I, I, I absolutely love, that make the most of their opportunities. And if you make one mistake, they will make you pay. And they did that on Sunday against the 49ers. Yeah, and they seem like they're even though it's preseason, they're not being completely vanilla on defense yeah. either. You know, they're moving guys around. Um, we saw uh, Joe Gaziano mostly had his hand on the ground um, during the first preseason game. There were a couple instances where he was standing up as an edge rusher on Sunday. They're sending corners. We've seen Tavon Candle, uh, Tavon Campbell blitz. Campbell. We've seen um, Dante Vaughn, I think, blitz. Kamon Hall. All these guys are they're letting them use their athleticism and come downhill to make plays. They've been sending uh, Tranquil quite a bit on blitzes. Uh, they're letting them play fast, and they're attacking. And they're even with some somewhat vanilla preseason schemes, they're creating. They're forcing the offensive linemen to make decisions, and they're creating some chaos up front that's getting them some free runs at the quarterback that, and those free runs are either leading to high throws or throwaways or sacks. You know, they almost had a strip sack from uh, Cortez Broughton last night. Mm -hmm. uh, they had seemed like they had pretty consistent pressure at times from that defensive line. So yeah, they're, they're generating pressure, which is something they struggle with generally when Joey Bosa isn't on the field. Uh, they're creating turnovers. They're sending guys from multiple positions on the field, which is something that Gus Bradley never did. Uh, you're seeing the cornerback depth start to make some plays. Tavon Campbell making plays. Last week we saw Kamon Hall make some plays. John Brandon made a play. Mm -hmm. There, some of these guys are even contributing on special teams. There are positive things to see from the defensive depth that we aren't necessarily seeing from the offensive depth, which is encouraging. Guys, guys making the most of their opportunities and making plays on the field, and that's that's a positive. That's a huge positive. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned uh, one of the uh, Cortez Broughton, but I felt like a lot of the guys on the interior flashed a lot yesterday. Uh, Christian Covington flashed, Brendan Fajoko. You mentioned Joe Gaziano, uh, Cortez Broughton. I know that uh, Willie Yarberry even got a really big tackle for a loss at the end of the third quarter. There and was a um, go ahead. Forrest Merrill played really well too. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah really the interior game. defensive line had a had a really good game against 49ers. And Shanahan had a plan to run the ball. I know he had a rookie quarterback that he wanted to get some throws out of, but Mikhail Hasty and Wayne Gallman ran ran it 34 times, and there was no real big gainers. I think they had one over 10 yards. It was a 12-yard run by Gallman, but I think that was later in the game. But, I mean, they limited the big plays on the ground. They're getting pushed in the backfield. They were pretty disruptive up front with that interior defensive line. The interiors getting penetration, and they're disrupting, and they're allowing the linebackers to come downhill and make plays. You saw yeah. Cole Christensen and Nick Neiman both uh, were among the league leaders and or the team leaders, I should say, in tackles. Yep. I think Christensen led the team in tackles and Neiman was second. Other way. Oh, it was, was it the Neiman other way? And yep. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had one, yeah, I think Neiman had eight tackles and Christensen had seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was the second week in a row that Neiman led the team in tackles. Exactly. Uh, both those guys looked really good. Christensen to me looked a lot faster than I thought he would be. There was a play where he chased Trey Lance out on the perimeter and kept him from getting around the edge and chased him out of bounds. Um, he came downhill and made some nice tackles and both those guys stepping up is huge because, um, Amen, Agban, and Miga mm-hmm. got hurt. And it sounds like he's got a shoulder issue and he may miss the last preseason game. So they need those guys to step up. They're going to need them on special teams and they're definitely going to need, need the depth on, on defense. Yeah. Almost came down with an interception and uh, hurt himself. Agbangamiga. I think it was a sprained AC joint. AC joint. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So yeah. Nick Neiman was very active and that a lot of that was from the interior defensive line two weeks in a row leading the team in tackles. It was great. I mean, he popped a lot. He seemed like the best defender for the Chargers during the second half. He was all over the place. He was playing fast, attacking line of scrimmage. He's very good. Uh, him and uh, Neiman and Webb got confused on one of the uh, long, big gainers and then on the touchdown to Muhammad Sanu. But other than that, they uh, they played really good, especially in the run game. Neiman was really, really good. He was really attacking that line of scrimmage. So Neiman was another impressive, another impressive showing from him. Yeah, he looked really good. Um and like I said, they're really going to need him on special teams, especially with Ogba and Omega being hurt. Like yeah. That I pronounced it pro- properly you twice. D- in twice. Row. I know. <laughs> I was going to say something the first time. <laughs> how, I mean, are we going to, we can't get out of this podcast without talking about these quarterbacks. How, how do you feel about the Chase Daniel and Easton Stick matchup? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stick made one really nice throw for a 39 yarder to Jalen Guyton. Uh, threw it in stride, hit him down the sideline. It was mm-hmm. probably his best throw as a charger. Um, otherwise, I thought Stick was not comfortable in the pocket. Seemed like he was really looking to run the first chance he got. He was There was no middle ground for him. He was either holding the ball too long and taking the sack, or he was pulling the ball down and running right away. Now, a lot of that had to do with he had no protection. But, you know, a lot of dump-offs, um, a lot of scrambles after that first or second option. Uh, he had that boneheaded, left-handed throw Throwing on a screen pass as yeah. he was getting sacked for a, an intentional grounding. I mean, I know you never want to take a sack, but sometimes taking a sack is the right play. Um, very, very few quarterbacks, maybe one quarterback in the NFL should be throwing the left-handed as throwing the ball left-handed as a right-handed quarterback. Easton Stick is not in that class. So pull the ball down, take a sack, or throw the ball at the at the running back's feet, but don't throw the ball left-handed. That's just a panic move, and it kind of spe- it speaks to his development, really, because that's just not something an NFL quarterback should be doing. Yeah, I mean, same assessment. It, it was it was so clear. He had no pocket awareness. He wanted to run as soon as he got the ball. He panicked a lot. He had the two positive plays, the one to Jalen Guyton down the sideline, and, of course, the touchdown where he's scrambling and pump fakes three times. He got Josh Palmer in the back of the end zone. But he panics in the pocket. He always wants to scramble. When he's on the run, he looks okay, but it, I mean, there's just too much frenetic energy there for a quarterback. There's no confidence, no poise in the pocket. And Chase Daniel, I mean, didn't have a better day. He had a better game than Easton did during week the first one. game against the Rams. Yeah, I was trying to make sense of that comment. Uh, <laughs> he played better in week one than Easton did in week two. So I guess whoever's going to suck less is going to make this team. But this is very clearly a two quarterback team 
There is no reason to keep a third. None of these guys are offering you anything more than Herbert. There's nothing here from Easton Stick, who would be the guy that you'd keep as a third quarterback, that you say, we got to keep him on a roster. He is he is a camp arm. You can find that on the waiver wire any day of the week. So even though Easton Stick had a, a better game than Chase Daniel and uh, led the team to a touchdown and had two impressive plays in my book, other than that, uh, he's out. For me, Daniel is the experienced guy, and I know he didn't look good um, on Sunday. He looked awful. He made some really bad throws. He's he's had some really bad hospital balls where he's throwing guys into big hits. But he is the experienced guy. He's the veteran. He knows the offense. He's, he would be a, of more help to Justin Herbert in the film room over the course of the season uh, than Easton Stickwell. And I think you know, he can manage the game and I'm not really even sure Easton stick can do that. So, um, neither guy is particularly special or exciting. I think the downfall of both of them playing so much is that we're really not getting much of a read on that third wide receiver battle right now, or any of the wide receiver depth, Mm -hmm. uh, where you were kind of hoping that we already know, I think Josh Palmer is separating himself, uh, from the rest of the group. Uh, you would like to see a Guyton or a Johnson, somebody like that, start to separate themselves from the rest of the group too, uh, because of the way the quarterbacks played and because of a lack of separation and a lack of uh, protection, we just didn't learn anything new about any of the receivers that might wind up, you know, four through six on the roster. There's just, there's just nothing to be gleaned from what we saw in that game. There were no, no, you know, outstanding throws. There were no great reads. There was a lot of holding the ball, a lot of sacks, a lot of guys running for their lives and there was just no opportunity to get the ball down the field. I think Stick averaged six yards per attempt, and uh, I think Daniel averaged like 2.9 yards per attempt. Neither guy did much of anything. They're both checking the ball down, trying to get the ball out to save their lives. Um, so not much of a read other than neither one of them is very good, and I think they still go with the veteran. Yeah, I agree. I think it's still Chase Daniel. That's who we had in our 53. I, I'm still, I'm still there. I'm still there with Chase Daniel. Any other storylines you want to talk about? Uh, I think one thing that kind of stood out to me is it seemed like there was a concerted effort to also get the ball to Steven Anderson early in the game yes. on mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, and he had some opportunities to make plays, but stick overthrew him, I think, a couple times. Speaking of hospital right? balls, yeah. Yeah. He almost killed Steven Anderson throwing out of the end zone. Yeah. Um, just some some rough attempted passes to Anderson, but it seems like they're really trying to test him in that deep and intermediate passing game. Uh, and he's a guy that I like. I, I liked him last year. He's a guy I wanted to make the roster. Um, still not seeing much out of Trey McKitty for that third tight end spot. He got a penalty on Sunday. And I think he caught one ball, didn't he? On the first <laughs> uh, possession. One catch for seven yards, and I think it was like the first or second pass of the game. Missed it. Um, yeah, it was quick. He had like three defenders blanketed on him and stick fitted in to a spot he shouldn't have been throwing to and McKitty made a nice catch (laughs) and then he disappeared but yeah not seeing much out of that third tight end competition seems like they're really trying to test some of the tight end depth to see if they can give them some flexibility at the fullback position and the h-back position so kind of be interested to see what happens with that in the third preseason game um didn't think the pace the offensive pace was nearly as sharp as it was the first week a lot of that had to do with stick being in the game and things being a little bit slower. It didn't seem like the special teams, the punt coverage teams were as bad as they were in the first game. 
seemed like there were some at least modest improvements. Yes. You see Michael Badgley make a 50 yard kick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's encouraging, I guess, for some people who want Badgley to make the <laughs> roster, but the kicker competition continues. He made both his kicks. Just about Steven Anderson, you know, it he was the one lined up as the fullback H back. Uh, this game too, which uh, might be something when you look at whether the team keeps a Gabe neighbors who is currently banged up and didn't play on Sunday, whether they want to keep the versatile tight end who can also play in the backfield as a lead blocker as a fullback. So uh, getting that run could be a guy that fills that spot as the third, fourth tight end of the roster. They've been doing that with Anderson, the first two preseason games. And I've also noticed they've done the same thing with the camp kid out of Oregon, uh, Hunter camp He's, mm-hmm. he's seen some, reps as a fullback and they've thrown to him out of the backfield a couple times. Um, so they seem to be experimenting with that flexibility, probably trying to find uh, some additional special teams value out of whoever's going to take that spot and some flexibility in terms of fullback, H back tight end, you know, moving them around and creating some matchups. Yeah. So kicker competitions back on uh, Easton stick is heating up a little bit more, closing the gap a little bit. Uh, I think Daniel probably still has it. But one of the things I was going to bring up from this game is the Chanuosu, who has been completely ineffective in the preseason so far. We saw Kyler Fackrell, who's the other edge, who, you know, who are competing for that opposite job on the other side of Joey Bosa. And Fackrell got a touchdown, kind of cleaned it up after Cortez Broughton got in the backfield, but uh, was pretty disrupted. Fackrell has made some splash plays the last two games. And Chanuosu, a lot of nothing. I mean, we saw a lot of good things from him during the season at times. Of course, the playoff game is what sticks out in everybody's mind against Baltimore, but getting the strip sack. But, you know, so far, we haven't seen a lot or heard a lot about Nwosu just taking over that role because that is his. And him and Fackrell are now competing for it. It seems like Fackrell is starting to kind of take the edge over that second edge spot. Yeah, it does seem that way. I think Nwosu had one or two pressures early in the game when Lance came in, I think. I remember one play in particular on a second down, I think, where he got some pressure and uh, forced a bad throw. But other than that, I think he had three tackles and didn't really show up very much. Um, and that's why, you know, Daniel Popper has been saying all preseason or all camp that he thinks Fackrell is going to wind up with that that edge number two role because mm. the coaches seem to like his versatility. He can cover, he can rush, he can stop the run. Nwosu is just more of a situational rusher right now. He hasn't really ascended as a as an every down kind of guy. He plays with a lot of energy and he flashes, but it's just not consistent. So seems like he's losing the grip on that job, and Fakro might be might be firming up his grip on that job. Chen Nwosu had three tackles on Sunday. Uh, Fakro, of course, had the sack, and he had two tackles. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us today. I appreciate you guys listening. Remember. Later this week or next week or during the next podcast, news will be coming soon with all the updates and the upgrades to the Lightning Round podcast. I am at Garrisisti. Jamie? At Lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.